Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. We're about to take a journey that winds past Dan Rather, a little girl in Texas, Jane Fonda, and Ronald Reagan. But we'll start, because why not, with James Brown, the godfather of soul. In the mid-1970s, Brown's career was flagging. After great success in the 60s, and a lot of tumult too, Brown publicly endorsed President Richard Nixon in 1972. And lots of fans weren't happy. So by the mid-1970s, when this song, Get Up Off of That Thing, came out, Brown was looking for the road back to success. Get up off of that thing and try to that pressure. Get up off. And he found that road back. Turns out it was on Channel 17 in Atlanta, a show called Future Shock. So tell your friends the next time Future Shock come on, hey, do what you want to do. Just have a party. But check it out because it's heavy. It's heavy for you. And it's yours alone. Channel 17, which broadcast James Brown's Future Shock from 1976 to 1979, was a strange, low-budget station that in some ways was about to change America. It was run by a womanizing mini-mogul who would soon become one of the richest people in the country. A man who sometimes made anti-Semitic and racist comments, but in fact, he was so all-around offensive it was really hard to single out any particular group that he didn't offend. This man got into TV kind of accidentally, but business was business. And Channel 17, which was an ultra-high-frequency station, meaning it was not that easy to access on your TV, it was his baby. It was not slick or commercial in the sense of what the broadcast networks were propagating. It was really, let's put on a show. If James Brown walked in the door, that got broadcast. Uh, There was all kinds of experimentation and fun going on there. In addition to future shocks, as journalist Lisa Napoli, Channel 17 bought reruns of The Andy Griffiths Show. It aired Georgia Championship Wrestling, Roller Derby, stuff that, as it turned out, people did want to watch even though it wasn't considered very highbrow. He was buying banks of movies, old movies, and he was putting sports on the air, regional sports, uh, which people couldn't otherwise see outside the immediate area where Channel 17 was. One thing the channel didn't care very much about, obviously, was news. Why not? First of all, it's expensive to put on news. Second of all, Ted uh, was not really interested in the news. He hated the news. In just a few years, Ted Turner, called the Mouth of the South, would invent something that had never existed before. A 24-hour news network. A cable news network, CNN. It was a leap into the unknown that seemed, to some, brilliant, and to others, nuts. It would change a lot more than television. It would change politics and help blur the line between TV stars and political stars. And without that, it's hard to imagine the last four years would have turned out the way they did. Turner himself was also in the midst of a journey from being politically conservative to what you might call liberal. He was evolving from an outsider to an insider, from an inveterate partier to a man who would ultimately be crushed when the woman he loved, his third wife, the actress Jane Fonda, left him. But in the mid-1970s, Ted Turner was a guy who just hated the news. 
You have to step back in time and look at what the news was in the 1970s when Ted had Channel 17. And that was a different world for everything, of course, obviously, but certainly in the world of media, communications, and information. Television had only been around as a major force for several decades, and and there was no 24-hour television, much less 24-hour news. The networks had a stranglehold on national news. Local stations did what minimal news they needed to do to fulfill FCC requirements that said in exchange for using the public airwaves, you had to have a certain amount of news on them. And basically, Ted just did what little he needed to do and put it into the middle of the night because he he thought counter-programming was good. And that was a better way to, in his estimation, service the people and to make a buck. Lisa Napoli is the author of Up All Night, Ted Turner, CNN, and the birth of 24-hour news. And she writes, he was someone, according to a former colleague, who, quote, would make coffee nervous. Another colleague said of Turner, there are times you'd like to bash his head in with a baseball bat, but there are more times you want to hug him. You know he's conning you, but you can't help but love it. He had a French mistress. He raced yachts. He proudly passed out to his staff an interview he'd done with the magazine Playboy. He believed in his own success so much, folks said, he lived on planet Hope. But con man or no, in the late 1970s, this mogul from Atlanta was poised to change media, government, politicians, and our lives. Though no one could have imagined how. He just was a larger-than-life character who lived every minute. He he didn't want to let anything pass him by. And he basically got into the media business because his father had been in the billboard business and a sort of more provincial type of media. Hmm. And that wasn't enough for Ted. He you know could have very nicely lived his life running his father's billboard companies uh, around the Southeast, but he decided he wanted more. And first he got into radio, which... Sorry to say, he didn't find sexy enough. And then uh, by accident, really, he got into this television station, Channel 17. And he just, he's one of those people. I wrote an earlier book about Ray Kroc and Joan Kroc. There are these these pivotal figures in 20th century American business history who just didn't take no for an answer, who didn't want to hear that something couldn't be done. And Ted Turner was one of those people. So it really was his personality married with this moment in time and married with this Petri dish of cable television, which was an emerging force when he hmm. got his hands on it. I should say Ray Kroc made, took this tiny restaurant, McDonald's, and well, you know what happened to exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Let me just stick for one more second with um, Ted Turner and his, and his father, who had this, uh, you know, came up from poverty to have this billboard business. They both, it seems to me, though they're very different, had some things in common. I mean, they were like real womanizers, drinkers to excess. They both um, had some real serious character flaws that they had a really hard time dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were people who could not work for other people at a major corporation mm. by any sorts of rules. And fortunately for both of them, they didn't have to. They just seized the moment and wanted more. They always wanted more. They were never happy just to sit back and relax to both of their physical detriments, for sure. Uh, certainly Ted's father's physical detriment. He uh, had all sorts of issues and ultimately took his life. And that that 
that baked into Ted as a young man when that had, you know, unfortunate event happened, it baked into him this message that he needed to go further. He didn't want to, as I say, acquiesce and just relax and collect the check. He he wanted to conquer new worlds and what those worlds were happened to confer at this moment in time on him because of, of when he was working and alive. So who was it that convinced Ted Turner? You talked about before that like news wasn't interesting to him. Um, who was it that convinced him he should go into the business of news? Well, he had the idea based on his desire. And this is where the story gets kind of wonky. He was really more interested in using the technology of cable married with satellite. Basically, cable had been around as a utility, really just to get the, the television to people's homes in more rural parts of the country. Then the satellite came along. And those two things came uniting together gave broadcasters a powerful opportunity. Ted was one of the first people to seize that opportunity. He did it first with Channel 17, floating it around the nation. And that wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. And so that's when he sat down with his chief advisors and said, what else can we do with this technology? And the other options that were out there, sports and movies, were, for complicated reasons, not perfect for him because he used them on Channel 17. So that's when he really landed at news as, aha, okay, maybe that'll work. So it wasn't some grand vision, and I find it amusing that people think it is. First of all, Ted Turner was extremely conservative at that point. He was not involved with Jane Fonda, had nothing to do with Jane Fonda. He was married to another woman named Jane. So he he was just interested in deploying technology, which, like I say, is kind of not sexy or wonky, I mean, and, and is very wonky, but that's really how it happened. And it was only after CNN went on the air that he recognized the force that it, it, it put into his hands and that there was much more that could be done with it. It's interesting. I feel like that's a thread that goes through his life because he owned, before CNN, he uh, owned the Atlanta Braves, the baseball team. Um, but I think the way you describe it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the way you describe it is that he didn't even care about baseball. I, I like, did he? No, going into no, that? not okay. going into it. He wasn't interested in that either. But he's kind of like an opportunist, yeah. much more than like a person with conviction who follows the convictions. Although his conviction really was business. Um, okay. His art was business. And so it, it wouldn't be fair to say that he was, you know, there are opportunists in this world. And he he sees the moment before him. And that happened in, in the case of the baseball air rights that he bought to air on Channel 17, it showed him the power of baseball. And once he was in, he was all in. Even though his heart was as a yachtsman, he got into the groove of baseball and got into the business of baseball the same way he did with the business of news. You have this uh, quote that I love from Turner. He says that when his station gets up on satellite, and this is the quote, ABC will shrink down to a puddle like the witch in The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) 
You know, we're going through this moment in time today where there's a reckoning in uh, you know the use of media, particularly in the use of social media. And, you know, this is why I love studying history. As a career journalist, I love now at this stage of my life looking back and seeing that in the 70s, even before that, people were focused on the deleterious effects of television, the impact what of this of this television people sitting in front of it for years they'd gotten their news from print then they got their mm. news from radio each medium comes along usurps the other supplants it in the mind share of the people and becomes a dominant way of delivering information and this moment in time that i write about in this book is about that moment in time where people were angry about tv for years the fcc chairman himself called television a vast wasteland along yeah. comes Ted Turner, as all these technological forces are coming into being, and he seizes the moment and runs with it. And here we are today. An excellent place to break. I'm talking with Lisa Napoli. She's the author of Up All Night, Ted Turner, CNN, and the Birth of 24-Hour News. We're looking at the moment when tech changed news, and then it changed us. You can grab this whole segment and also this whole show, actually, which is all about the power of time to reinvent our lives. We're on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. We're also at our website, innovationhub.org. From GBH Radio and PRX, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. Be right back. Welcome back to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In the late 1970s, the man known as the Mouth of the South was closing in on gold, a truly enormous fortune. And by the way, a creation that was going to change the world. And I said, this is, I knew it was going to work. To my competitors, still didn't think it was going to work. They thought, but I could feel, I, you know, I was close to it. I could feel the walls were shaking and they were going to fall down. That I had to build up enough pressure on it, like an earthquake, to where it was going to, it was going to, it was going to work. But Ted Turner, who was on the cusp of starting CNN, which went on the air in 1980, well, he needed a partner because he knew nothing whatsoever about the news. We're taking on President Reagan, AT&T, uh, the, the, the networks, and the, pre- the, the establishment press. You know, it, this thing couldn't be done, and if it could be done, we were the wrong guys to do it. That's Reese Schoenfeld, a longtime lover of the news who had spent his entire adult life waiting for a chance to do the news his way. Ultimately, many years later, he wrote a book about those strange early days at CNN called me and Ted against the world. It was going to be amateurish and it would look awful. And I loved it. Everybody was against us and we had to do it together. And it was me and Ted against the world. Maybe in fairness, it should have been Ted and me, but he's taken first billing so long, I thought I'd take it on the book. The tension, if you sense it there, was around from the beginning. When Schoenfeld and Turner met to talk about CNN in 1979, and remember, this thing launched in 1980, so they cobbled it together pretty quickly, Schoenfeld told Turner he had to make so much money that when Turner fired him, he'd never have to work again. We're just not going to get along, Schoenfeld said. And there was an element of truth to that. Ted, despite his bravado, is not the most secure person in the world. 
and he sometimes does outrageous things, I think, out of a sense of not being in control. Schoenfeld was sometimes shocked at the way that Turner conducted business and treated women. Turner, though, was more optimistic about his union with Schoenfeld. In the meeting, when Schoenfeld asked for a lot of money, Turner asked what his sign was. Turned out, they were both Scorpios. Turner thought they would definitely get along. Actually, though, a few years later, Turner fired Schoenfeld. But anyway, in the beginning, Schoenfeld dreamed of getting a big name to headline this new news network. The question was, could they lure away a famous broadcaster? Maybe Dan Rather from CBS? Turner didn't know what Schoenfeld was talking about. He'd never heard of this guy, Rather. That's how disinterested and disengaged he was from the news. Lisa Napoli has written about this moment when the 24-7 news cycle was being invented. She's a journalist and the author of the book Up All Night. And she says the fact that a guy about to bankroll a news station knew next to nothing about the news, that was remarkable. But remember, this was a time when news was not the festival of celebrity it is today. And back in the 70s, there were a few people who were name brand broadcast journalists. But basically, there, that was not the way of the business at that, at that stage. Partially, too, because there weren't that many news shows on the airwaves. And Ted just didn't engage in that. That was not, you know, he would come home from work late at night and read the newspaper or read a magazine. He was not watching the the nightly news, which at that point was delivered at conventional supper time back when that quaint little concept was part of the American landscape. The way I wouldn't know who most sporting figures were, he just had no idea who Dan Rather was, but he believed Reese because he'd <laughs> hired Reese. Reese was, you know, a, a, an, an eminent fellow in the news business, and that's what he needed. And uh, he was crazy enough to go work for Ted. May he rest in peace. He died last summer. And Reese just said, this is the guy, you know, if we're going to go, we're going to go big and let's try for Dan. And Dan, of course, didn't didn't bite, obviously. So uh, was Reese concerned? Here's this guy, lifelong lover of news, Reese Schoenfeld, loves it, totally what he lives and breathes. Was he concerned that he was going to work for a guy who knew nothing about the business he was about to get into? Yes and no. In some ways, that was to his advantage because it okay. gave him a better field. You know, I, if you don't know anything about it, I do. Hopefully, right. you'll defer to me. And Ted did mostly say, I'll defer to you because Ted didn't care about the nuts and bolts the way Reese had passionately cared for for 20 years. He'd been hoping, this is his dream come true, that this rich man comes along mm-hmm. and says, here the tools. The tools are finally here for us to beat the networks. Anybody in the news business who didn't work for the networks for for years was watching the networks have this stranglehold on broadcast journalism. And so here was Reese's opportunity. So whatever misgivings he had about Ted and his crazy background and his disinterest in news were subjugated by the fact that he had this Petri dish being handed to him by Ted Turner, and he was thrilled. It was a dream come true. So so they launched this thing called CNN. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like, like 
first day. What did it take to get this thing on the air and what was the launch like? Well, it's also important to step back and remember that uh, the idea of building a 24-hour news channel was so insane. Mm. The networks hadn't done it. They thought a little bit about it, but they hadn't done it themselves. So in less than a year, they ramped up this operation in Atlanta, which at the time was not this world-class media city that it has since become, in large part because Ted Turner started CNN there. All this other media has spilled over in the years into Atlanta. But it wasn't the case back, back in 1979, to stake their claim on Reese and Ted, and it was a small number of people, who came to Atlanta, who then in turn hired several hundred extremely young, extremely underpaid, and eager young people who were thrilled that there was a chance for them to get their hand in the business because uh, it was hard before. It's 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 a competitive field, but it was particularly competitive when there were only three networks mm-hmm, and local mm-hmm. television stations. And they just worked 24-7 for, for under a year, building out a place, getting the equipment, figuring out the machinations of it because no one had ever done this before. No one had ever not only broadcast 24-7 a day, but, but hooked up the the necessary technology that made this possible. And so it was a thrilling time the way any startup is a thrilling time and an exhausting time. But they made it happen. And on June 1st, 1980, there was no question it was going to take off. And and there they were. They were off to the races. So, you know, we talked about how like Ted Turner didn't even care for the news only a few years before CNN launched. And here he is launching this 24-hour news station that's going to change everything. Um, Can you just talk to me about his... progression as a person, you know, he was famously conservative, then kind of famously became a bit of a liberal. I mean, was he changing? Was he starting to truly believe news was important? Like, I just wonder, where is he and how is he being changed by the business he's doing? Well, the real thing that changed him besides the power and the thrill of, you know, having 300 people in an old converted country club in Midtown Atlanta, you know, the thrill of a, of a newsroom buzzing and cameras, that, that would thrill anybody, the most cynical person. But what really showed him the power of what he was doing was when he found out that Fidel Castro down in Cuba was pirating the CNN signal. Again, this is before <laughs> most people in the United States even heard of CNN. I grew up in New York. And we'd heard it, we read about it in the papers, but we couldn't get it in in New York City. So there's Fidel Castro down in Cuba pirating the signal and sending word through one of one of Ted's very few correspondents, because they didn't have very many reporters on staff, saying, I want to meet you. And it was that invitation that clued Ted in to the real power, not just of CNN locally or nationally, but internationally. Up until that moment, it hadn't occurred to him to take CNN around the world as an international brand. He was too busy fighting this good fight as cable emerged as a force in the United States. But when Fidel said, I'm stealing this signal, ha ha ha, I don't really care. I know I'm not supposed to do it, but I'm doing it and come down and duck hunt with me and let's talk about this. 
Ted, who was a conservative, who was, you know, brought up to think that communists were the most, you know, they were Satan, uh, is, is flying down, back before you were allowed to go to Cuba, flying down to Cuba and hanging out with Fidel, who's telling him what an incredible thing he's created, how, how important this all-news service is. And that is what planted the seed in Ted, that this would be perhaps a force for good and change, and that perhaps the dialogues that were incited by opening up the door, if you will, the the global village into homes and businesses around the world might actually have a transformational power, which of course Hmm. today is, you know, comically arcane, but uh, that that was what he felt back back then. So I wonder, you know, if you think that at some point the uh, coverage of CNN, a C-SPAN had uh, launched recently, like the idea was to cover what Congress was doing and different hearings and stuff. Um, were, the, were the coverage, the, going from just a little bit of coverage every day on the nightly news on the major networks to like all this coverage all the time, was that actually changing politics itself or the news itself, not just covering it, actually changing it by like putting lights on it all the time. Absolutely. In fact, you know, if you go back and you look at how uh, Congress had debated for years before they let C-SPAN in, what would happen if the cameras were on 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 them in the chambers? Uh, and everyone says that it instantly changed everything. It changed how everybody communicated with one another in in internally as well as externally. You know, a really interesting example is that there was a time when we didn't see the president often. Uh, you know, we might see pictures of him in the newspaper or sound bites on the news, but we certainly did not see press briefings from every godforsaken agency in Washington, D.C. or everywhere. That was just not a thing. And when CNN first started doing that, which it did to fill time because there wasn't always breaking news. So the easy thing was to go into a press conference in some agency in, in, in D.C. That was startling to people. Now, of course, everybody's camera wet, ready and their teeth are perfectly white and their hair is perfectly done. But back then, the average anything wasn't used to a camera being there and certainly not a camera rolling live. And that had an immediate impact on every single aspect of society in in the sense that you could tune in and see it. And in the sense that I, as the person who was the bureaucrat or administrator or whatever, was doing what I was doing, delivering whatever message. You know, there used to be a thing called embargoes. You know, people in, yes. in agencies uh, would put out or, or you know, governments would put out a news a news release or corporations that would be hold for embargo. Even when I was at the New York Times 20 years ago, hold for embargo, hold for release. There is no hold for release anymore. But back then, that, that was how it worked. It was a, a more orderly beginning and end to the day, and in certainly in the transmission of information. Um, you write some about how the story of baby Jessica um, falling down a well was kind of a, a watershed moment for CNN. Can you explain that story a little bit and why it 
affected CNN so much. Sure, sure. Up until uh, baby Jessica fell down a well in Texas, uh, and that became sort of an early reality TV show, if you will, because it was, you know, blowout coverage. Will this girl be saved? Up until that point, there had been milestones along the way in CNN's existence that were training people to the power and importance of being able to tune in and see a news event as it happens. One example is the shooting of President Reagan in 1981. Another is, of course, the shuttle Challenger, which, you know, people who were tuned into CNN could see happen live. But baby Jessica, because it happened later in the decade, and because by then there were more homes wired to television, and because it was a human interest story, everybody. And this was nineteen eighty. This was nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, eighty seven. Yeah, it was nineteen eighty seven. Late, late in nineteen eighty seven, I believe. It was again this crystallization of time. You know, the the the. Medium was in critical mass. CNN certainly was not a a well-known force, but it was becoming better known and better carried around the country. And all eyes were on it. It it showed basically CNN itself that people would tune in to watch a developing story. And that was what Reese's idea was at the very beginning, was that up until CNN started, there was no way to tune in except with rare and extreme exceptions to broadcasting and see a news story unfold live like a sporting event. Ultimately, of course, the baby Jessica story was great. She was saved. It was a triumph. But what it did for CNN, uh, besides polarize some people who were angry that this human interest story ate up so much airtime, other people saw that this was, wow, there is something to this idea of news. People, the regular person was is not involved with consuming news the way I'd venture to guess most regular people, me, uh, uh, regular folk are today. Uh, it, w- it was just not there. It w- the, the, the need was not there. The possibility wasn't there. And something like Baby Jessica, it took something like Baby Jessica to show that there was an interest and an audience for a developing story. Hmm. Do you feel like CNN helped create Fox and MSNBC? Oh, like, there's uh, okay, yeah, yeah. There's no question. I mean, obviously, for for years, I think it's 16 years that CNN had the business of all news on television to itself, and then when mm. Fox and MSNBC came along. The competition changed everything. Up until that point, there used to be a point when the mantra at CNN was that the news was the star, that it wasn't about big celebrities, although, of course, several were made. Bernie Shaw was, you know, a huge, well-regarded journalist, a well-regarded journalist. He was not a showman. He was a well-regarded broadcast journalist. And there were, you know, others, of course, in that league, too. But it wasn't about glitz and glamour and celebrity and promotion. And it was also a log financially, CNN was. And then, of course, when Fox came, all bets were off. Everything changed as a result of Fox and then MSNBC. So um, let me come back to Ted Turner again as like the person throughout all of this. Um, How much control did he... So here, you know, CNN goes on the air in 1980, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. So how much control did he retain? Did he like what CNN was becoming? Like what what did he think? Was he changing as a person? What was he seeing? 
Ted Turner had virtually nothing to do with the day-to-day operations of CNN. He okay. became synonymous with it because it was his baby. But, uh, you know, sadly, Reese and the other creators don't get as much accolade or, or whatever you'd expect. But basically, Ted... Everything changed when Ted started trying to buy more. He tried to buy CBS. There was this, you know, very storied account of his purchase and sale of MGM. He had to, he took on more debt. He had to start selling his business, his, you know, Turner Broadcasting, which diffused his control. So as time marched on and cable became more prominent and CNN became more prominent, and as Fox came in and changed everything by by bringing this decided point of view, Ted's role in all of that was diminishing. So that's why today people of a certain age, younger people of a certain age, don't recall Ted Turner because his power was clipped as he gave Mm -hmm. up his financial stake in all of this, which he needed to do. I mean, early on, the networks wanted to buy CNN uh, and he wouldn't he wouldn't let them. He wouldn't give them control. But he wound up giving up control to other media interests because he just financially needed to. Well, it's interesting, you know, is that we kind of look back on the past four years of the Trump presidency. There's something you know, clearly when he was elected in 2016, it wasn't like the beginning of the 24 hour news cycle. Uh But there's something about that presidency that feels almost like it couldn't exist, like like the 24 hour news cycle gave it oxygen. Um, Absolutely. I don't know if you think about it in that way. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up in New York in the 70s and 80s. I know, you know, I've been watching Donald Trump skeptically for years. Mm. I've also been studying the history of media for years. There have been zealots before, and there have been terrible misuse of media in the past, obviously. But of course, it was the system that gave it oxygen on all sides, not just on one network side, on all sides. Yeah, I, like I say, think it's good that we're all taking a step back and looking at what that means right now. Uh, I hope that it leads to some sort of change, but I, you know, not particularly optimistic. Well, I was going to say, I feel like one of the things that 24-hour news has led us to is a real personality-driven news. And I even think about before Donald Trump was elected president, he often called in to shows and was put on the air because his personality, you you know, to to the viewers was often compelling. And I don't know where you think things go from here, but it seems like the money is in personality. The money is clearly in personality. Look, you can't be uh, a star on cable television, any of those cable television channels, unless you have boisterous personality and a robust presence on social media. There are many people who are doing great work who, you know, I don't know how much great work is going to happen if they can't become celebrities. You know, people age Mm. out in this industry. People uh, get lost in the shuffle in this industry. But the people who rise to the top and see to have the most power are the people with the biggest presence, the the loudest noise behind them, as I say, whatever their political point of view. I don't know who believes what they're really saying and who's saying it just because it's good for their profile. I don't watch it. I don't consume it. I I just am curious about the history of it and the impact of it. Yeah, it's, it's it's a dark 
time. So that's so funny. You you wrote a book about 24-hour news. You don't watch it? I, in 2001, mm-hmm. had lost my job due to a major downsize at MSNBC, where I was the internet correspondent, and was a month later sitting at home, and the TV was on, or I didn't have the TV on. My mother called and said, put the TV on, and I, I saw the second plane hit the tower and I turned the television off and I have not had it on. I have not had a television since then. I Whoa. I couldn't. It, it was for me, even though I was only a New Yorker then, not a, an active journalist. It was a transformational moment for me. I just I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't watch it. So for me, I I'm Perhaps there are people listening to this who'll say, who the heck is she, you know, writing this book? Well, first of all, I'm writing history from decades ago, but uh, who the heck am I? I just can't, I can't consume it. I find it, it makes me, in fact, I live in a large apartment building in downtown Los Angeles. Last night we were sitting here eating dinner and we could see someone with a gigantic television on there. We see them every single day, all day long. It's on CNN. I don't think it's healthy. I just don't think it's healthy. I think it's great that people are engaged. And that's the problem. This is not a black and white issue. Mm. There's not an easy solution. Um, Free speech does not mean hate speech, but how do you deal with it? I don't know. That's why I write history books. But I do know when I look out the window and I see people with a television on 24 hours a day, it's sort of like drinking Coca-Cola or eating McDonald's all day or doing drugs. Like, I I think it's got a bad effect on all of us. So I just made the personal choice 20 years ago to turn it off. And I feel smarter because of it. I read. I listen. Mostly I read. Lisa Napoli is a journalist. She's the author of Up All Night, Ted Turner, CNN, and the Birth of 24-Hour News. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you. And we've got lots more about Ted Turner, Reese Schoenfeld, the beginning of CNN, and even a clip of James Brown doing that show, Future Shock, on Channel 17 in Atlanta. That's at innovationhub.org. 